I wonder how many billions of people have walked on the face of the earth. Even in our own day, we can't even begin to count how many human beings are living at this moment. How many of them do you know? How many of them can you recite their name and state what of importance we can know about them? Some of them in their own day may have done something significant enough that communities have been named after them. Buildings at a university, even streets. And yet those streets, those buildings, those towns are just a name. Even those who are the most ardent students of history can maybe come up with a couple hundred names of people who have lived and what they've done. When you get lost in all of that, you begin to think, boy, where is any meaning or something of significance in my own life. Some individuals get very depressed. Other individuals, and I trust that's true of each of you here, really are of the mindset, regardless of the millions of people, the billions of people that have existed, I want my life to mean something. I want my life to count. I may never have a street named after me. I may never have a building or a university named after me. I may never even have a community named after me. But I want my life to have some meaning, some purpose. So what is it that I need to do to be sure that my life counts for something? I'd like you to turn with me to Romans chapter 12. We want to take just a few moments to look at three or four different scriptures that are pertinent to this topic. In Romans chapter 12, the Apostle Paul simply states in verse 1, I urge you, I plead with you, I exhort you, therefore, what does that tell you? In light of all that I've said, I want to tell you the most appropriate response that you can have. Now the book of Romans is a glorious declaration of God's work in salvation. And in this book, he establishes in the first 11 chapters that righteous uh, work of God to bring unworthy sinners to himself. And in chapters 12 to the end of the book, the appropriate response to those who are the recipients of God's grace. And in verse 1, he says, here's your priority. Here's where it all begins. I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, in light of all that I've explained to you, how God has accomplished a great redemption so that those who belong to Him, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. 
And he will faithfully fulfill all the promises he has made. What is it to be the priority in your life, in my life as an individual who is a recipient of that grace? I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your reasonable act of worship. You want your life to mean something? You want it to count for something? Well, here's where it all begins. It's a recognition that my life has been bought with a price. And that is the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And the most important thing that I can do with it, the most impactful thing and meaning that can be true of my life, is here I am, God. Use me. Lord, I need you. Every hour I need you. But what I want is for you to use me in ways that are beneficial to others and for your glory. It's interesting that the term that Paul uses to describe this kind of act or of worship is it, my version says, your spiritual service of worship. Literally, it is your reasonable or your rational Sadly, so many people think, well, you know, God's going to be pleased if I just tip my hat to God. God's going to be pleased if I make a great contribution in the name of Christ. God isn't pleased, God isn't impressed with any of those things. The only rational response, what really makes sense, to understand that the one who knew no sin became sin on our behalf, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him, is the fact that here I am, Lord, use me. I give myself to you as a living sacrifice. It's my rational, it's the appropriate response. That's Isaac. The living sacrifice that God called Abraham to offer to him. Do you understand that Isaac couldn't debate about what was about to happen to him? Isaac didn't determine, well, I don't know if I like hickory. I think I'd rather have oak on the stones. I don't know if I want you to slay me with a knife. How about waiting until I get a little bit older? When you give yourself to God as a living sacrifice and say, Lord, here I am, use me. God is the one that determines and God is the one that directs how he is pleased to use you. And if you want your life to count and mean something, whether you're some of the young ones that are here with us or all the way up to those who are part of our congregation into the 90s, it doesn't change as we begin each and every day. Lord, my life is yours as a living sacrifice to you. If I go over to Ephesians chapter 6, continuing this idea of a life as a sacrifice directed by God. 
In Ephesians 6, the Apostle Paul says, beginning in verse 5, Slaves or servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and sincerity of your heart as to Christ. Not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from the heart with goodwill rendering service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. So while the Apostle Paul is giving specific directions to slaves or servants of that day, please notice its implication and application to every one of us here. Whether slave or free, the principle is still the same. If I recognize that my priority in life is to give myself as a living sacrifice to God to be used as it pleases Him, then there are things that are going to be true in my practice. And sadly, we're of the mistaken idea that if we're going to make our lives count for something, what is it the great big thing that I need to do so people stand up and take recognition? The answer is absolutely nothing. What's really more important is the mundane task of every day. And how is it you perform them? Like the servant, you're not doing it because you have a job to do for the master. What kind of tasks would he have to do? Well, it could be something as grotesque as cleaning the bathrooms. Who do you do it for? As to the Lord. It could be something as tiresome as working in the fields all day. And having no one give you any appreciation for what you're doing. But what I learn in all of that is that today is God's gift to you. What are you doing with it? And if you want your life to mean something, to count for something, the recognition is biblical Christianity is all about the temporal things we're engaged in and we are doing it According to what? What does he say in verse 6? Not by way of eye service or men pleasers as slaves of Christ. Doing the will of God in the heart. So, I might be a student in school. You're doing the will of God. I might be a husband or a wife in the home. A parent with children or children responding to parents. It's all in this context. God has a will for you in those tasks. And what I need to understand, the whole beauty of the Reformation is that for the child of God, it's not here is your spiritual life and here is your mundane temporal life. Everything is spiritual to the child of God. And as I engage in my daily task, it's not, well, it's Monday morning, i got to go to work. If you don't take up your cross daily and follow after me, you're not worthy of me, said Christ. 
And that job that you're engaged in, or that retirement that you're enjoying, or those classes you need to go to, that's where God has you at this moment. And what is it you're supposed to do with it? I'm to render service as an offering to Jesus Christ. Not just to please some boss, some teacher, my parents, or taking care of my children. The reality is, having my life mean something is doing the task that God gives me to do each day for His glory. You've been bought with a price, so what are you supposed to do? Glorify God in your body. How do you do it? It's the way you approach the tasks that are before you. And to be able to appreciate that what you have is an opportunity to offer yourself as a sacrifice to the Lord in the task that you're engaged in today. Now there are implications then in what we're doing. The first is, how is it that Paul told these servants they are to perform their tasks? The answer is, with a singleness of wholehearted devotion to the task that is before you. How do you approach the responsibilities that you have each day? Are you just thinking, well, I just got to check this one off and get it done and out of the way? Or are you recognizing as a redeemed individual bought by the blood of Christ, this is what God has called me to do right now. And I need to expend all of my energy to do it to the best of my potential, not just to get by. Because I'm not serving men. I'm not trying to please men. I'm serving the Lord Jesus Christ. The second thing that comes out of this to me is alluded to by the Apostle Paul writing to the Corinthians where we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He says in verse 31, Whether then you eat or you drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. So I am wholeheartedly devoted to the task that is before me. And in that, I am seeking to do it in a way that brings honor, recognition, praise to God. There have been far too many occasions when I have been interacting with people out in the business world who have told me that the last person they ever want to hire is a Christian because they're not good employees. They don't really devote themselves to the tasks that are before them They're too occupied with trying to talk to people about their relationship with Christ or reading the Bible or other things. Is it wrong to do those things? Not at all. In fact, it's important to do those things. But not on the clock that belongs to the employer. And if I am doing things to the glory of God, what does this mean? Well, Jesus alluded to it, even expressed it in his high priestly prayer recorded for us in John 17. He said, Father, I have glorified your name in accomplishing the work that you gave me to do. 
How is it you glorify God? The way in which you handle the responsibility that's before you and you do it to the best of your abilities so that individual will recognize that this is a person who is genuinely concerned about doing a task well and when the opportunity comes can bear testimony then to the Lord. In other words, what I want to say is given credibility because of who I am and what I've done. We didn't have to read too far in the book of Daniel to find that out about him, did we? There was a credibility in Daniel, and therefore, people listened to what he had to say. Doesn't mean the whole world was converted through the testimony of Daniel, but it's a recognition that Daniel's life was devoted to the glory of God. And in that, as Jesus indicated in his prayer, doing everything to the glory of God means that I am seeking to follow the directives, the commands that he has given me in his word so that I am honoring him in how I do things. And a very a third and very important ingredient of living one's life in a way that it really matters, that pleases God, is found in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 9. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul wrote to them, and this has to do with financial contributions for the needs of the saints, but the principle that is included in this is very apparent. Let each one do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves what kind of a giver? A cheerful. The task that I am privileged to perform each day as a service to Jesus Christ ought to reflect a cheerful, joyful expression. What did God rebuke the Levites for in the book of Malachi? God said... I wish someone would just shut the door to the temple. You know why? Because the priests are saying, what a drudgery. All I do each day is slit the throat of a lamb, skin it, throw it up on the altar, and get rid of the remaining carcass. How wearisome it is. God said, I'm a great God. And I deserve a different type of attitude in the offerings that are given to me. So if we are doing our daily tasks in a way that it has meaning and significance, it's first recognizing what's the priority, presenting myself, Lord, here I am, use me. And then it's looking at the day that's before me and the tasks that are there, the mundane in the eyes of others, now takes on the spiritual. And I am looking to do it in a way that it really is an offering to Jesus Christ, that I want God to be glorified so I'm not cutting corners, I'm doing it the way that he said. And in all of that, 
Even if I am called to endure the cross after the example of Jesus Christ, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. When he quotes of his own life and what the Father gave him to do from Psalm 40, he said, Sacrifice and burnt offering you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. I delight to do your will, O God. So I have a task before me today. Do I look upon it as a drudgery, a wearisome thing? Or is there an expression in the way I handle it to where I am thankful for and rejoicing in the privilege that I have to do this task, not to please men, not just to get a job done, but the fact that I have the privilege of serving Christ. You know what Christ said? Even a cup of cold water, give it in my name, what? You won't lose your reward. And that's why back in Ephesians, he tells us that there is a promise. That promise, he says in Ephesians 6, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, it's a settled conviction. Just like he can say, we know that God works everything together for good. Here is something else we know. It is a settled conviction. And the second part of that is, when you go through each day, don't look through the eyes of the thinkers of this world. Look through the eyes of eternity. Look through the eyes of a spiritual reality that's there. Knowing that whatever good thing anyone does in the name of Christ, he will receive back from the Lord whether it is slave or free. In other words, people of this world may never know your name. You're just part of the census of the billions of people that live. But someone else takes notice. And that's the only ones whose life really matters. It's whether or not God will say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. You may not be recognized by the world. You may not have a university or a town or a building named after you. You may not even have a street named after you. But boy... If God takes notice, if God commends you, how much greater satisfaction can there be in knowing my life really mattered? I was a servant of the King of Glory. And while it may not have been great and big things He called me to do, as I dealt with the daily tasks that He had before me, be it as a student, as a parent, as a spouse, as an employee or an employer, as a politician, whatever profession I'm in, I did it as a service to Christ. And I did it in a way that honored Him. Well done, good and faithful servant. Let's pray.